so Romans, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter, chapter 15. Elmer and Bugsy were out uh, hunting in the woods, and they got lost, no cell service, and darkness was closing in, and so Elmer tried to reassure Bugsy and said, look, do not be afraid. All we have to do is shoot in the air three times. If three times we'll shoot in the air, stay where we're at, and someone will come and rescue us. And so they shot in the air three times, but nobody came. And they waited 30 minutes, and they tried it again, and still no response. Elmer says, well, let's try it one more time, and Bugsy said, you know, I sure hope this works this time because we're down to our last three arrows okay I don't see why you didn't get that because we all know someone in this age of cryptocurrency trading who put their hope in the advice of others even though they did not understand how that advice applied to them and so uh, we don't want to be that way. We want to make sure we got the right application to us of everything the Bible's saying. And Paul gave us such clear instructions last time we were in Romans, in Romans chapter 14, about, about love. But now how do we apply the principles of chapter 14 in actual practice? I mean, he showed us how love will guide your life as you embrace those who are weak in faith verses 1 to 13, edify those who are weak in faith, verses 14 to 21, and esteem those who are weak in faith, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 14, so much so that he now gives us this summary in chapter 15, join me in verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. They fell on Christ, all the disrespect, all, uh, you know, all of the shame, all of the scorning. People in dire straits like that tend to rely on the advice of friends, neighbors, experts, and sports stars who make commercials. And just like Elmer and Bugs, they place their hope blindly in the wisdom and the experience of someone else. But in Romans chapter 15, Paul gives us some real help because God wants us to be able to set an expectation of trust and not just trust during the good times, but trust when you don't even understand what's happening. So here's our thesis for today's study, because God wants to give you hope, which is a positive expectation of trust based on the reality of God's grace. Now, that's just my sidewalk definition of hope. I mean, hope as it's biblically defined, because the Bible character Job, now if you are following along in our, on our, on our um on our prayer diary that we give you each Sunday, and it's got a Bible reading schedule six days out of the week, Monday through Saturday, and then we get together on Sunday. But as you look at that Bible reading schedule we include in the prayer diary, you notice it's chronological. So it's going to take you through the Bible this year in chronological order. So if you're following along in that, you've been in the book of Job. And Job was right, and his three friends were wrong. But Job also justified himself because he was not living by grace. 
And so Elihu, at the end of the book, Elihu interjects into the dire distress of Job's situation. He says, look, Job, here's your problem. You did not found your hope and ground your hope on God's inspired word, Job 32, verse 8, but only on yourself. And even though you do not see him, God is good all the time. I mean, all the time, God is good. And you've got to trust in him, Job 35, 14. And all the tribulations of Job are right there in your Bible. I know it's not on the front end. I know it's not the first book you go to, but it was written before Moses wrote Genesis. So it was like the first Bible book believers ever had, and it's written so that you can learn to set an expectation of trust through your trial in this life. The three greatest gifts are faith, hope, and love. And this chapter, Romans 15, tells you how to apply the guiding light of love in practice through your faith in hope, which God has promised us. So watch, God promises you the hope of Christ's likeness. I've just given you a list. I've given you a list, just kind of did a word study of hope. And what do we get out of that? Perfection, eternal life, the rapture, salvation, the hope of seeing loved ones who have died. The hope of sharing Christ's presence together, the hope of glory, of not being ashamed, of being righteous and of seeing righteousness, we get the hope of consolation. And that hope is grounded on grace, which is activated by your faith, which is your trust in God. But now wait, wait, because this is actually, this leads us to your responsibility for ministry. What is your responsibility to ensure that you apply in practice in order to follow the guiding light of love from Romans 14? Well, first off, notice if you will, this is number one. You have to gain hope by endurance. Endurance in bearing your own infirmities and enduring to to edify others. Watch verse 5, Romans 15 verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, according to how he did it, according to what he supplies to do it, so that, verse 6, ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now... That if you look at verse 5, you see that word patience? Because the James gang also translated that word patience in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 as enduring. And back in Romans 2, 2 verse 7 as patient continuance. And that's what that is because it is patient waiting and being consistent in something. It is your faithfulness. That's what pleases God. As a matter of fact, it's God's good pleasure to do several things for you when you endure like this. I mean, it's his good pleasure to give you his kingdom, to adopt you as his child, to make known to you his will, to work in you exactly what he wills for you, and to make your faith work with power. That is God's good pleasure, but that is not 
God's good practice. God's good practice is not to do any of that except in his time, according to his plan and with his means. So it's kind of like this. I don't necessarily agree with the chronology of the last week of Christ's life that's expressed by this, but somebody said, you know, it's kind of like Jesus and Good Friday. They said when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday that that was the worst day of the world. So when I got troubles, I remember that. And I think of what happened just three days later. So when I get traumas, I learn to wait three days, and somehow everything gets right. So first off, you gain hope by patient endurance. And then second, second, number two, you gain endurance by being rooted in God's word. Look at verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written... God's word, the Bible, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, you see that word comfort there in verse 4? The James gang also translates that word in verse 5 with the word consolation uh, and also as exhortation. It is the verb form of the noun, the name for the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses in John 14, comforter. Now that means that you've got to learn in the scriptures how to be comfortable in pain, how to be comfortable and stay consistent, how to be comfortable and have hope. Because this is our first point for study. The Holy Spirit will always comfort console and exhort you through the holy scriptures and you know what this is one of those without fail things in the bible you know and if everybody if anybody ever dogs on us to you saying well look all they ever do is say read the bible and pray as if that doesn't work no this is one of those never fail things that's why the bible is sufficient if you will read it and apply it in your particular trauma. Watch verse, watch Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119 on your handout, verse 43. And take, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Verse 74, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. Verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. But you know what? I may be down, but I ain't out. Because I hoped in thy word. Uh, uh, Verse 114, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hoped in thy word. Verse 147, I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. I mean, I don't know how you build a life, but God is telling you today, this is how it should be done. And not only can you hope in God's word, but you can obtain hope from God's word. And that is how you fulfill his mission. I mean, that's how you prepare for his purpose in eternity by staying consistent in ministry. So if you want to know that kind of hope by endurance and that kind of encouragement that comes from the scriptures, then third, this is number three, 
gain enduring hope by applying the Bible in your own personal ministry. Verse 8, Romans 15. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister. Are you? He was a minister of the circumcision, in other words, to the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto their fathers, to the patriarchs, and that the Gentiles, okay, the Gentiles also, just like the Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. I mean, even to them, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people, the Jews. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Do you? Because if you do, then verse 13, now the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. But it starts with your willingness to serve in your own ministry through this church. Because that is the application in life of God's love. You remember how the disciples were constantly arguing about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest among them? Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who was going to sit on the right hand and on the left? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, serve. You better serve somebody. Because ministry is God's way of making you great. So the greatest servant is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So step up to serve in this church. Step out and serve others. Why? I mean, why do you, why do you need to step out in service? What will motivate you? to fulfill this responsibility that you have toward ministry. Well, let me list for you some things that Paul gives us now. So first off, I need you to know this is letter A. You'll do it because of the sovereign work of God for you. Verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I mean, God's sovereign work for you is this. It is not your righteousness that God accepts. It is the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account when you believe in him. And so when you trust Jesus for everlasting life, his righteousness is reckoned as your righteousness and your unrighteousness is removed by his blood. And this is done, Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And somebody needs to hear this today, because this is our second point for study. God does not change you so that he can love you. God loves you so he can change you. You come to Christ just as you are. There's nothing you can clean up ahead of time. You need a Holy Spirit in order to be holy. You need the Word of God to do the work based on your faith, based on your trust in it, because that is grace. And the day God saves you, He gives you another chance. But check this, because you do not just to get to start over on that one day that God saved you. 
No, you get to start over every day that you got to repent of some sin. You got to recover from some fall and you got to put something in the past under the blood of Jesus. That is God's sovereign work, which makes you worthy for ministry. And second, second, if you are saved, you are completely qualified to serve. This letter B, because of the special work of God on you. Watch verse 14. And I myself also, Paul says, am persuaded of you, you, my brethren, that ye also, look at what he says, list this out. You're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able also to admonish one another. You know, some lost people will not get saved because they will not admit they're a sinner. They'll not admit that they need salvation. And so they just, they don't trust Jesus for eternal life. They don't get saved. But some Christians do not walk in victory because they will not admit they are a saint. Hello, somebody. And, and no matter how empty your life may be, God can fill you up so much so, God wants you to overflow. So God does a work for you so that he can perform a work in you. You know, Paul had never even seen these Romans. And yet he says to these Romans, you are full, you are filled, and you are able. Because the day you believed in Jesus for everlasting life, you were accepted in the beloved. You now have access to all the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And this is our third point for study. Jesus ascended back to heaven so that he could send his Holy Spirit down and fill you. When we select deacons, it's because they are men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Now, unfortunately, I'll admit to you that down through the decades, churches have allowed people to serve for three other reasons. Riches, race, and religion. And by religion, I mean the conflict between liberals and legalists, which in church world results in a split, basically, based on party and politics. And so they justify partisan division within their church, because now, since they're not doing it for biblical reasons, their church has turned into a religion. So speaking of disharmony... I recently read about a feud between the pastor and the praise team leader at HBC. I mean, there's a feud between the pastor and the praise leader at HBC, the Hicksville Baptist Church. And the first hint of trouble came whenever the pastor preached on dedicating yourselves to service, and the praise team leader chose to sing, I shall not be moved. And then thinking it was just a coincidence, pastor kind of put it behind him, and next Sunday preached on giving. But afterwards, the closing hymn led by the praise team was, Jesus paid it all. Well, by this time, the pastor is kind of losing his cool. So next Sunday morning, the attendance swells and and the tension is building between the two of them. And a large crowd arrives and the pastor preaches a sermon on the sin of gossiping. And do you know that praise team leader had the audacity to lead the congregation in saying, I love to tell the story. Well, the next Sunday, the pastor told the congregation, you know, unless something changes, he's going to resign. And the entire church gasped whenever the praise leader led them in the closing hymn, Why Not Tonight? (laughs) 
So nobody was surprised a week later when the pastor resigned. He explained, you know, Jesus led me here, and Jesus is leading me away. And the praise team leader could not resist singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but that is some serious disharmony. And I need you to know this church does not give preferential treatment to anybody but you if you are serving. Now, I will admit that because of that, maybe we even give preferential treatment when we shouldn't, but not because of riches, race, or religion, but because of service. So why don't we throw away gain, greed, and goods as our thermometer, and let's use grace. How about that? Because in the final analysis, if you are a believer by being born again, you are qualified to serve in unity. And this is letter C, because of the specific work that God wants to do through you. Now I want you to watch because this will set your agenda for this year if you will let it. Because God's mission and your ministry are always going to harmonize. So if you will let it, what we're going to look at right now will set your agenda, or you should set your agenda by this. Number one, God will give you a plan. Look at verse 23. Paul says, But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. You know what? You need to start moving, because God cannot steer a a stationary car. So you need to stop, start moving, but you don't have to move haphazardly. Paul had a strategy of penetration. But you know, sometimes we have problems because we reject God's plan and we won't get involved in it. You know, a lot of times I think we're just like the pilot who came over the intercom and he was just flying this pedal jumper and it's going to this out of the way place. And he comes on and he says, well, I got some good news and bad news. And the bad news is we're lost. But the good news is we're making great time. And maybe, maybe you started to feel like that, you know, this year, like you're running faster than ever, but you don't even know where you're going. Why not? Why, why don't we make big plans together for Jesus this year? Because verse 24 says, when Paul says, when as whensoever I take my journey into Spain, okay, I have a, I have a, I have a process of penetration. I have a strategy here. I want to go to the uttermost nobody's been to Spain yet, but in doing that, I'm going to come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Paul wanted them to have a ministry mentality with him because he wanted the fellowship of believers to fill his gas tank for a trip to Spain. Or charge his chariot battery, as the case may be. And this is why this is so important. It's our fourth point for study. If you are lost, well, then you're empty because you leave God out. You've left God out. But if you're saved, you will be empty if you leave ministry out. If you leave serving God out. So why are you lost? Because God has an ultimate plan for each one of us. And that plan is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that means you need to make your immediate plans with God's ultimate plan in mind. Hello, somebody. 
Matter of fact, if you're going to write anything down, you ought to write that down. I need to make my immediate plans with God's ultimate plan in mind. And if you do not serve, you end up frustrated and unfulfilled. And yet, and this is number two, God will resource you to fulfill his purpose. Verse 25, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. He says, he says, look, I'm going to tell you, Romans, something. I am not taking up an offering to take to every starving Jew because every other Jew gets supported by all the Jews who are abroad. But there's a drought right now in, in Israel. And all of your brethren in Christ who are Jews, they've been kicked out of the synagogue. They don't get that support. So I'm taking up an offering from Gentile saints and Gentile churches to take to Hebrew saints in that city in Jerusalem. Likewise, God will give you a ministry purpose to fulfill through this church. So even though Paul wanted to go to the uttermost, which was Spain, he wanted the gravitational force of the Romans to propel him there, but he had to stop by Jerusalem first because that was the immediate ministry. So if you serve in our Jerusalem, then God will send whom he wills to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part over time. Because in the final analysis, if you let ministry be your agenda, and this is number three, God will enable you with his own power. Paul is confident that the purpose and plan will be fulfilled in power because he says in verse 29, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. The f- Wait, no, don't just read over that, actually read it. I, I know that I'll come in the fullness of the blessing. It is a blessing which is deposited because I am ministering the gospel of Christ to people. I'm, I'm, I'm using what God's given me in evangelism and discipleship. And God promises you fullness of power. And power comes when you are following God's plan for a purpose. You know, these are such simple principles, and yet they ought to set your agenda this year. Because in the final analysis, Paul draws us all, and this is number four, into the fact that God will provide for you in response to prayer. Because as you apply Bible principles in life through your service to God's purpose and plan, then that is when you discover that prayer starts working for you. All of a sudden, God now answers my prayer. Okay, watch, verse 30, look at verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So wait, let me explain to you one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. I mean, the whole Christian life is a paradox. How could God die, but he did? And, and, you know, how can God become a man when he created human beings himself, but he did? And how could that God who died leave and come back and be distributed equally among all his saints, but he does? But watch, watch. There is a rest of faith, and there is a fight of faith. And that word strive is a word we get our English word agonize from. 
So Adam turned away from God in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus turned to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the word used for his praying. And first, this is an urgent request, because faith is a fight that you must be willing to have for two reasons, according to verse 30. First, for the sake of Jesus and what he did for you. And second, so that you can sense the Holy Spirit's love in you. Paul says this faith fight is fought spiritually through your continual communication to God about ministry. So, he says here, there's freedom to pray, strive in prayers. There's fellowship in prayer, strive together. There's faithfulness in prayer, pray to God. There's fervency in prayer, pray for me. And my point is, this prayer fight fought the way for ministry by the Apostle Paul. Paul could not do it alone. He couldn't do it just because he was an apostle and had the gifts of an apostle. He couldn't do it just because he was the Apostle Paul. He needed the assistance of the church at Rome. And that same fight needs to be fought by this church. Ministry runs on the rails of relationships. That engine is fueled by your money, by your giving. But what greases the rails and greases the axles and plows the roads is prayer. So this is an urgent request. And then second, this is a specific request. You'll notice there are three points to enabling prayer. And they're all marked out by the word that, the four-letter word that. And see, maybe this, is, maybe this is the problem, keeping you from enabling prayer, having enabling prayer working in your own life. So first, Paul says, he will be delivered, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Maybe you are not delivered from temptation because you don't use prayer as your way of escape. Maybe you're not delivered from evil because you don't first stop and turn to God and pray. So second in verse 31, he prays that his service will be accepted and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. He says, I want you to pray that hearts will be open as I minister to them. And third, third, pray that I can reach your city of Rome with joy and be refreshed by you, Romans, verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. You know, if Paul requested prayer, I need your prayer. And if Paul requested prayer, you need prayer. And if Paul requested prayer, we need the prayers of each other. We get together specifically do, to do that on, on Wednesday nights. This is the pattern of enabling prayer. And our final point for study is this. You need to be delivered. You need your work to be accepted. And you need to be refreshed even by working, even by your work. So pray. The hope of the world today is the word of God. Full stop. The hope of the world today is the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. Full stop. It is not getting guns off the streets. It is not solving mental health issues. 
It is not legislation. It is not keeping Russia from invading. It is not either education on the front end or reformation on the back end. It is salvation because that salvation is so comprehensive that the word of God changes the outside and the spirit of God enables the inside and the people of God get serving together. Will you make a plan to fulfill God's purpose by taking the word of God through evangelism, join a harvest team, maybe one of our harvest teams, and through discipleship by signing up to be discipled and then getting ready to disciple somebody else and do that in the power which the Holy Spirit offers you. That ought to set your agenda this year. Let's follow his plan and let's hold up that plan in prayer. You know, there was a young man in Austria who was given his final violin recital and, and he'd studied for years under the guidance of one of the greatest masters uh, in, in Europe and he had this tremendous talent. He learned his lessons well. And he stood in the center of the stage and had an audience of hundreds of music lovers in front of him and performed with extraordinary confidence and skill. And following each piece that he played, the crowd just cheered wildly. And it seemed like he was one of the one of the finest performers they'd ever heard, and yet that boy seemed not to even notice their expressions of pleasure. I mean, he was just stone-faced. As a matter of fact, seemed a little bit annoyed by all of their applause. And at the conclusion of the performance, the entire audience stood as one to give this young violinist a, a standing ovation. They shouted, bravo, and, and encore, and words of praise and appreciation. And that young musician just seemed to you know, like he was deaf, like he couldn't even hear them. And he just stood staring off into the distance, up into the balcony. And up in the balcony sat an old man. An old man was looking back down on him. Well, finally, that old gentleman smiled, nodded, rose himself and started clapping. Only then did that lad seem to relax and his face just beamed with joy. And can I just tell you that the cheers of the crowd mean nothing. The cheers of the crowd mean nothing unless you've got the approval of the master. And I know it's been so hard to gauge that these last two years. His approval. And all I know in myself is that no master ever had a worse pupil than me. But no student ever had a better master than my Lord Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every, every Christian pray. Have you been born again by believing on Jesus for what he promises you, which is eternal life? Set everything else aside. The Bible's a big book, I know. It's got a, got a lot of narrative stories in it. It's got a lot of poetry. It's got a, a lot of doctrine. Set that aside for a minute. If you've never trusted Jesus for eternal life, will you do that today? Those of you who have done that, you know that as people of God and fellow believers, there will only be one master that we are really concerned with. And we should be most concerned about bringing glory to God through our ministry as Christ's body because he's our master. Because you know what? That is the mark of Christian maturity. That is what shows that you've grown up. That is what is displayed as victory in this fight of faith over time.
It is when you are concerned about bringing glory to God through our ministry as Christ's body. So God looks on your heart today. Do you know him? All you have to do to become a Christian is trust Jesus for eternal life. It's not a church with sacraments. We don't have ceremonies or rituals that will somehow magically or mystically turn you into a Christian. Because you don't have to work your way to God. God has worked his way to you. That is what the cross is all about. All we do is preach it, proclaim it so you can accept it. And all you have to do today is pray and just say, God, save me for Jesus' sake. I mean, even right now, sitting there in the chair, heads bowed, eyes closed, just say, I trust Jesus. I'm placing all of my weight on his finished work to save me. Here, Jesus, I give you my life because I believe. If you pray that right now, God will put you in Christ. And I'll put the Holy Spirit in you. Just pray and ask him to save you in sincerity. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's your faith in him that does. And if you do that today, then whether you do it while we're singing or after the singing gets done, come up here and meet us at the front. Let us rejoice with you. Get a record of that. I've got a book I want to give you, a book that I wrote on next steps for new believers. Go ahead and stand and bump elbows with your neighbors. We... We get ready to sing. Next Sunday is the day before Valentine's Day, so we'll have a special message next Sunday and kind of a couple's marriage-type message, I guess. Although, you know, we are all of us, us who are saved are part of the Bride of Christ, so every, everything applies. It'll also be Super Sunday, so I have a, we have a number of people getting baptized both services. So invite somebody to come with you so they do not miss out. Stay in the Bible. Share the gospel. Praise team, sing us out.